Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode number 27, how and why to get started with IBC in your 40s. Yeah, we've been covering how to get started with IBC in your 20s and 30s. So now we finally enter the decade that we currently are in. Uh, looking forward to this one and, and really laying out the case why if you haven't started yet, you really need to get this plan going because the longer you wait, while it'll still work, you want to take advantage of everything IBC has to offer. So let's, uh, let's talk about getting started in your 40s. Yeah, and this will be a fun one because we kind of went back in time. And since you and I are both in our 40s, now we're kind of, now we're in the present time for ourselves, possibly the listeners. By the way, we've already received a couple of questions of, we're not in the age bracket that you, that we're talking about currently. Does it still apply to us? And I would say in general, yes. But in the specifics, we're going to cover pretty much all the decades that are important. Um, so just, you know, if you haven't heard your decade yet, just just hang on and it'll it'll be coming. You know, I think what we're going to be talking about today, if we could just outline the ep- episode for everyone is, you know, what's happening with someone in their 40s, challenges they're facing, typical advice they're probably getting, financial priorities that we would talk to them about from, from our perspective and the infinite banking perspective, uh, some common objections that we might hear to starting infinite banking in their 40s. And then as always, we're going to hit on a recommended reading list at the end of the show for some things that you can dig into a little bit further and expand your education. Well, let's jump right into it with uh, what's happening with someone in their 40s. What's happening? From what I'm seeing with myself and uh, well, actually not really myself as I as I kind of started a new career doing infinite banking for a living, but with all my friends and colleagues and coworkers, former coworkers, they're starting to hit a mature stage in their careers, you know, where they're starting to get into director level, you know, executive level positions with their companies, you know, where they've, you know, had some success at previous companies and now they're kind of moving up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, their levels of income are increasing, but also their their levels of bonuses. So I'm thinking specifically since my background's in, you know, Silicon Valley startups, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, now going to these startups and they're starting to be a part of that higher echelon of of stock option people where their windfalls are are potentially much bigger they're probably starting to have some children where they're you know if they haven't already where they're getting a little more serious about saving you know if they had children in their 30s they're probably actually starting to get a lot more serious about saving for college and they may even be a little bit behind the curve on that so that that's something that is commonly on on people's minds another thing is assets are multiplying so a lot of folks are have maybe gotten into investment real estate, other types of side hustles, so to speak. Their income streams are multiplying along with their assets. They might even be looking at some you know, some ways to leverage those. And so that's that's an important discussion to have. And then lastly, you know, we start to see where aging and dying parents are happening. So we're at that age where our parents are getting older, maybe lo- starting to look at where where they are with their estate and maybe even, you know, have had some parents pass away where that triggers a lot of thoughts about estate planning, going through you know, the probate process and then also thinking about how to handle some of those types of windfalls that come into your life and what's the best way to use those. The common idea 
that I have in the back of my mind whenever I hear these things is that money needs to reside someplace. And what we are typically seeing is that people are in their 40s heavily reliant on their uh, employer retirement plan and default plans like 529s for their kids, basically trying to sock as much money as they can in a deferred tax manner. And it sets them up to really be cash poor because you know that money is locked away and it's tied to whatever the market's going to do. And then ultimately, it's going to be 100% taxable, even in the case of a 529, because if that money's not used for college, then that money eventually will be taxable at some point. It's a huge problem I think people have to address. And potentially it's a good problem. They have more uh, capacity to save. But the problem is, or the challenge I should say, is choosing where the best place is for that money to reside. And that's really where we need to start developing your IBC plan, because if you're parking all that money in qualified accounts, it's qualified with the government. It's not qualified in your control. It's completely out of your control. And so we need to develop a foundation where you can start to put away that money and have total control and access over it. So that's really a huge key to infinite banking. It also talks to the idea of creating options for yourself as you're going through the different stages in your life. And I think when we hit our 40s, that's sort of a a line in the sand where we haven't eliminated options from our lives, but we've also kind of hit that point where our options start to become fewer and fewer, where, you know, most people are kind of putting money into plans, whether they're qualified or not, and they're going with that invest for the long-term mindset. And in your 40s is kind of when the long-term people are starting to become aware, well, the long-term is actually not going to be the long-term forever. This decade is kind of when people start to see that I can start to see where this is going to become the short-term at some point. And once it becomes the short-term, your options are are much fewer. And so I think this is an important decade of people's financial lives to really see that, you know, having some options in your financial life would make a, a really big difference. Yeah, case in point, my first appointment this morning was with someone in their 40s, remarried, so on their second marriage, two kids, and I was asking him about what he's currently doing, what what his current plan is, and and this is what we hear a lot, maxing out the 401k putting money in 529 accounts, term policy. I asked him, how do you feel about this current plan? Where do you feel taxes are going to be when you go to retire? And just trying to get a feeling from him on just how comfortable he was with this default plan, he was really uncertain. And in fact, that's part of the reason why he uh, set up the appointment is because in the back of his mind, he knows that come retirement, he, he basically is relying on social security and a 401k to produce income for him. And he's really nervous about that. And like what you're just hitting on, John, he's going to be having very few options on how to generate income in retirement if he sticks with that default plan. Right. I usually find people in two boats. They're easy to talk to about that where they're, they'll, they'll acknowledge that maybe they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Or there's there's folks that just completely have their blinders on, think everything's fine. But meanwhile, everything is really, is really based on hope. And, but, but they won't 
they won't really talk to you about it. So some people just are not going to acknowledge that they could benefit from having more options in their life. And then there are some people that are open to the idea. And so I think by the time a lot of people find us, they've maybe already had that epiphany. And so when we have those conversations, they're they're pretty open to, you know, finding ways to make improvements where they have less risk, more control. And, and quite frankly, more money, you know, now and in retirement. And here was another thing that we talked about. We talked about his existing mortgage with interest rates coming down. He was looking at refinancing from a 30 year to a 15 year fix. Right. What are your thoughts on that? There's actually no benefit to a 15 year mortgage over a 30 year mortgage. And in fact, the, the difference in interest rates have to be very significant for someone to uh, actually benefit to paying a 15-year mortgage. What we want to look at, especially with today's low interest rates, is you know that debt is so cheap that you could be doing something else with the payment, the cash flow from those payments that would create a net benefit over the course of your financial life. Meaning, as opposed to paying a higher cash flow for 15 years by paying a lower cash flow out for 30 years, at the end of 30 years, you will be in a better financial position than you would be if you did a 15-year mortgage. I totally agree. And so that's why I laid that up for you. And <laughs> one I more. love the softballs. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to give you a softball there. So great advice. Going a little bit further on that too, there is a strategy that can even allow high income earners to pay off a mortgage in half the time with half the payments. Mm, yeah. Utilizing a whole life policy, not strictly set up for IBC purposes, but set up in such a way that it incorporates the IRS tax code to help pay off long term debt. Um, and it works well for business owners. You know, if you're in your 40s and you've got a lot of business debt, or maybe you are a homeowner and you are very concerned about having that mortgage paid off by the time you go into retirement. This is another strategy that we could potentially show you how to pay that debt in half the time with half the payments. It'd be a, an extremely powerful tool to really increase cash flow by managing some of those various debts. Yeah, my point of sharing that too is, is to help people keep in mind that a whole life policy is a financial tool. It allows you to accomplish your financial objectives simply because there's so much flexibility built into a whole life policy. For a lot of people out there in their 40s, they're stuck in the default mindset, which is maxing out 401ks, contributing to 529s, buying those term policies, and really putting themselves in a corner when it comes to having multiple options later and having opportunity to have more cash flow. So I'm glad that we're touching on it in your in your 40s because if you're there, you need to know about all these options that are available to you outside of the mainstream advice that you've probably been listening to for the past 20 years. Yeah, I think I think all of these things we're touching on are going to be huge for someone in their 40s. I think if we take a look at the challenges, you know, a typical 40-year-old is facing, it'll reinforce this point even further. And I would say that the challenges they're facing are often good challenges. I think the first the first point of that is we we touched on it a minute ago is what should you do with that increased income or those increased windfalls that people are seeing as they're maturing in their careers and starting to become more and more valuable in the workforce and creating more and more income for themselves. And I think 
most people are taught really only to invest in the market. Most people don't really know of, of other opportunities out there. You know, maybe they buy some real estate, but for my people in the, in the startup world or for people who have had that experience where they're, they're starting to see windfalls from a deceased parent, what are most people doing? They're taking these windfalls that they already took risk for, or their parents already took risk for, or their grandparents already took risk. And then they're just taking that and putting it back into the, into the market and putting it back at risk. I, I say it's double risk. And so is there a way that we can start dealing with some of these you know, windfalls and dealing with some of these increased incomes that we're experiencing without putting everything at risk like, like we're kind of taught to? Not only that, but also diversifying into a tax-free bucket. Because let's face it, if you're putting money into a qualified plan or in taxable accounts, maybe you have a brokerage and you're, you know, you're doubling down on that risk, as you say, all that money is going to be taxable, whether that's on a capital gains tax and a taxable account, or ultimately 100% taxable when you go to withdraw it uh, in retirement in the form of a, a withdrawal from your IRA or 401k. IBC really comes in to provide additional value because it's a tax-free asset that you don't have to die to get any benefit from yourself. You know, people, they, they have this thinking with life insurance that, well, you know, the only people are going to benefit are, you know, my beneficiaries. What they need to know is that if you set up an IBC plan, you're setting yourself up to take advantage of what we call these living benefits during your lifetime. It's something that you can actively enjoy this money and not have any regrets about, you know, maybe spending down your kid's inheritance. It gives you that permission slip to really enjoy the other assets that you've accumulated. And to bring it back to what I was saying about it being a tax-free asset, how many places legitimately can you put money and get access to it tax-free? I can only think of two. That's it. And what are those two, by the way? <laughs> Roth IRA, which of course will limit you if you're a high income earner. And the second is a permanent life insurance policy, like what we set up for our clients utilizing whole life. That's it. I do want to say one more thing about windfalls. When people experience windfalls, they finally actually get a large infusion of capital that if they had the right strategies, they could use that capital to invest in things that are actually more beneficial to them that protect that capital, protect that principle more than what a regular person is normally able to do or, or what they're taught to do, where they just take the little bits of you know incremental income and put that into the stock market. When you have a large chunk of capital, that creates options for you that if you know what to do with it, you can start buying assets that protect your principal much more effectively than just putting it into the stock market and sometimes even get you higher returns. I call it the brute force method where I see a lot of, especially tech people, where they get a lot of income and they get some windfalls and they think they're doing well because they just dumped a bunch of money into the stock market. Meanwhile, it's like, by the way, here we are 12 years after the last correction. If we experience another corrections, I think some eyes are going to be reopened. But I think what people see is that they just have more money to put in. And so it's like the brute force method where they, they see how much, more, how much more money they're putting in. So it looks like they're doing better, but it's not really a strategy. And so I, I really think that people could benefit by 
creating sort of a, a centralized place for their capital to then go out and do some other things with afterwards than just the the brute force method. Yeah, you'll never be in a worse position by having access to cash. And right. Like we've mentioned on previous episodes, when there's blood in the street, you're going to be able to take that cash and buy at the low ends of the market and really multiply your wealth considerably simply because you had access to tax-free cash while everyone else was trying to liquidate their assets and sell at a time when they wish they didn't have to sell. And that's really where you come in and scoop assets up on the cheap. And you can do that if you have an IBC policy because you're always sitting in a cash position. And if you look at the the wealthiest people out there, they're sitting on a lot of cash right now, just kind of waiting in the wings to do just that. So I think, you know, we're, we're touching on estates and, you know, those are some of the, uh, some other challenges people are facing at this age, but I would also uh, say they're dealing with unorganized estates. And so that's when, at least in, in my case personally, you know, I had to kind of go through when my father passed away, I had to go through and really dig up all the information and organize it and then go through the probate process. And so I think when people are in their 40s, again, that sort of demarcation decade of like, hey, are, are when when would be a good time for you to actually get this organized and start doing something like creating a will, a last will and testament, creating a, a trust so that your your loved ones do not have to go through the probate process for your assets to pass on to the to the next generation. And I think this is also that that decade where that really starts to um, resonate with people a little bit more than it did in their twenties and thirties. Totally agree. Now, I know we touched on buy-term invested difference. We just mentioned it. Do you want to go into that a little bit further and what we're seeing with people in their 40s and the mindset of simply having a term policy and nothing else when it comes to life insurance? Yeah. The buy-term invested difference mindset in our show notes, well, behind the scenes show notes, I have in parentheses still, as in they're still doing it. I think it's just that thing of the only thing we're taught is to put our money into the market and try, and try to get this high rate of return. So in our 40s, that's still the case where people in their 40s right now have experienced, by the way, to market corrections. And so they they need to get that high rate of return because their retirement accounts have already been corrected twice. And so they're like, all right, this is the time where I get to experience that high growth. I want to put as much in there as possible. But what they don't see on the back end is the lost opportunity cost of both not only the cost of the term insurance, even though it's cheap, there's a lost opportunity cost to that. But the bigger lost opportunity cost is what happens when it's going to drop off in 10, 20 years. I think if people understood more what they could do with a permanent death benefit, yes, have some term insurance to you know get as much life insurance as possible, but have that also supplement a permanent life insurance policy where you can create a permanent death benefit that'll provide way more value for you, especially once you cross that threshold of, of retirement. Let's give the listeners some, maybe some big bullet points, like why they would want to have a permanent policy heading into retirement. Yeah. I mean, you said the permission slip idea earlier, and that's really, if you could really boil some of these benefits down, it really is a permission slip to that gives you options to do all these other things with all the other all the rest of your financial life the rest of your assets that you have that you've spent all this time and effort accumulating here's a very common way that it'll it'll get kind of put out there if you could show up on the day of your retirement with a million dollars or you could show up on the day of your retirement with a million dollars plus a permanent guaranteed tax-free 
million dollar death benefit, which of those two people would you rather be? And most people would say, yeah, I'd want to be the person with the million dollars and the million dollar death benefit. So what it comes down to is they just don't want to pay for it on the way. I think the what's important to understand is there are ways to do this that you don't have to you don't have to come out of pocket any more money out of your lifestyle and you can have both. And if you have both, what that does is it gives you the permission slip, quote unquote, to spend the other million dollars while you're still alive so you can use and enjoy that million dollars worth of assets, you know, in your retirement days, which is what you did this whole thing for without having to, quote unquote, disinherit anybody on the other side of it. When you pass away, your people that you leave behind still get a million dollars worth of uh, worth of assets in the form of a death benefit. And I'll add on to that by saying with that whole life policy, you're also going to increase the amount of income that you're going to be able to create for yourself simply because you have that policy backing up your other retirement assets. I'll give you an example of the mentality that people have with this 100% all market approach, and it's to accumulate the biggest balance sheet possible. Because this is the way that we're conditioned to think about our retirement. We, we have to accumulate as much assets as possible. And then once we get to that golden retirement age, we'll be able to sell off those assets to produce an income. But the problem with that type of thinking is that in order to do that, you have to be in a scarcity mindset because ultimately what you're concerned about is making it through your entire life without running out of money. The common safe withdrawal rate that's used and has been used for the last 30 plus years is a 4% withdrawal rate. Accumulate, let's say a million dollars and you're going to be able to withdraw 4% quote unquote safely. And by doing that over a 30 year time frame, you're going to reduce the probability that you'll run out of money. Well, in reality, because interest rates are so low and the volatility in the stock market is so high, that 4% withdrawal rate is now probably around 3%, if not a little bit lower than that. And so if you've accumulated solely that balance sheet asset, that, that's all in the market, you've seen your safe withdrawal rate drop from 4% to 3%. In other words, 40,000 a year to 30,000. And you still have no guarantees you're going to uh, make it through your entire life without running out of money. Now, let's compare that to if you also had a whole life plan, which gives you the freedom to take more than 4% out of your overall plan. And you can do so with the certainty knowing that you're never going to run out of money. But if you all you have is a term in a you know 401k IRA, and you're trying to develop an income stream off of that, you're living in retirement with this fear that, well, you can only take out so much this year because you don't want to run out of money 10 years from now or 15 years from now. And even worse, if you have a year, especially early on in retirement, where you have a, a major loss because there's a correction, what does that do to the back end of your retirement with that type of strategy? It can completely blow it out of the water. This is the dilemma that people are struggling with because they don't know how to generate an income in retirement off those qualified assets, and they don't have the options available because they took the traditional advice and bought term and had nothing permanent set up going into retirement. Yeah. And what you're talking about is a volatility buffer in the last little segments. So you can go back to episode six and you can hear more about how that works. And you're right. And if you have 
even one year, you know, one negative year in the stock market where you don't have to pull money out of your retirement accounts, that can have a drastic effect on how much, not only how much longer your account lasts, but how much you can actually take in retirement as well. So it's a huge piece that I think people really need to take a look at and understand because it's a true diversification. You're diversifying into a guaranteed cash asset rather than diversifying into other market-based types of investments like bonds, et cetera. I think that's a super important point. Yeah. And I'll add this to it as well. With that 401k IRA asset, because you have a permanent life policy in addition to it, now you can, as an option, not saying that you have to do this, but one of the methods to create a permanent income with a guaranteed payout for the rest of your life is to put that money into an annuity. And the oldest type of annuity that's available is a single premium immediate annuity. And that's basically like a pension. You're transferring that money over to the life insurance company in exchange for mailbox money for the rest of your life. You're giving up the liquidity on that money. And here's the reason why most people don't go that route in retirement is because they want access to that money still. And you can do that with other types of annuities, but the biggest bang that you're gonna get for your buck when it comes to annuities really is with a single uh, premium immediate annuity, what we call a SPIA. Well, the only way that's viable is if you have a permanent life insurance policy behind it, because that permanent life insurance policy is gonna give you liquidity and additional death benefit, as you mentioned in the first point, where you won't be concerned about disinheriting your kids. Well, now you've given yourself through the SPIA a payout, let's say five and a half, six percent, maybe even higher, depending on when you turn on that income and compare that to a safe withdrawal rate of three percent nowadays. You, you just given yourself a hundred percent increase in your income in retirement and it's guaranteed for life. How many people would want that? and still have the comfort knowing that they're still gonna leave their kids something. It's incredibly powerful, but you have to have the options set up and you have to start looking at these strategies and exploring them now in your 40s. Yeah, and there's a 100-year-old book called Life Insurance and basically has a line that's pretty powerful. With an annuity, you can derive the same income with half the capital. And it may not be exactly half, but the, the principle stands that because of the actuarial math behind how annuities work, which is, by the way, the same actuarial math of how life insurance works, we can derive more income with less capital using an annuity. That's the beauty of efficiency when you marry the default Wall Street approach with life insurance. And I think it's incredibly important that at this decade in your life, if all you've been doing is accumulating assets that are market-based, you need to start marrying in some life insurance concepts that are going to allow you to be more efficient come retirement time. Excellent. So as we talk to people, you know, we still run into some common objections. The 40s being this interesting demarcation point. What's a, what are some of the common objections you still run into with people that are in their 40s? Consistently, is it too late for me? Yeah. Uh, the other one is it's going to be too expensive. Right. A lot of people, they'll email us and they'll say, is it too late for an old guy like me? And they're in their 40s, right? <laughs> and it's and it's, uh, it's definitely not too late. I think you mentioned your oldest client was in their 70s. It was not too late for that person, but it, it is more efficient the younger you do it. Beings that we never know what our health will be like tomorrow, 
Is there any reason you shouldn't at least know what it could do for you right now? Yeah. And as far as the objection of it's going to cost too much, every dollar that goes into a permanent life insurance policy never goes to waste. Let me just be as bold about that as possible. It will not go to waste because you're not only developing a cash asset that you can use for all the decades to follow in your lifetime, but you're also developing a permanent legacy that's going to pass on to your beneficiaries. So no dollar that you put into this plan is ever going to go to waste. Not to mention that if anything happens where you become too sick or injured to work, you know, that that first premium payment you make creates this huge death benefit that could be used that even if you don't pass on, you just become injured, that you could use that to pay for things like chronic or terminal illness. Yeah, there's a big concern with people living longer these days. And with these IBC plans, you're automatically setting up a pool of money that can help cover a long-term care event in your lifetime without having to spend more dollars to create another bucket for that event. It's something that for a lot of 40-year-olds, maybe not be forefront in their mind, but it's a pretty powerful benefit, especially you know talking about efficiency again. We're utilizing the same dollars to finance everything in your life, to, to help supplement income in retirement, to provide a legacy for your kids potentially. And now you also have an additional bucket for a long-term care event. It's incredible. And I love the way you put that where no dollar goes to waste. That's a great way to put it. I've never heard you say that before. The last common objection is, and this is this one really, we hear it all the time, no matter what age you are, but it does become more of a concern as you get a little older. And that's giving up the liquidity during the, the capitalization period of a, of a whole life insurance policy. I'm kind of thinking of this in, in a couple different ways. Number one, you know, well, I, I want to use this money to invest in other assets. And so if I put this money into a life insurance policy first, you know, there's a little bit of a delay in the, in the actual amount of cash that I can use to invest in those assets. Or I'm putting money into a 529 plan. There's a delay in terms of how quickly the cash becomes available to use if I want to use the money to send my kid to college. And I would just say that the first thing I ask people is, well, how long are you planning on living? Especially to someone in their 40s, but even in their 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, everyone's living longer. And so this idea that you somehow are going to not have a need for capital in whatever time frame is you know when you when you phrase it that way it's like yeah i guess i am going to live quite a bit longer i mean if i live to 95 that's 50 more years for me and so it's like it starts to you know look a little bit silly that i'm worried about a you know 1 2 3 5 7 year capitalization period whatever it ends up being and then the the second thing is that where else are you putting your money and if we do experience another market correction what is your liquidity with those accounts then? At the, at the time that you need cash the most, what is your liquidity going to look like when your other accounts correct 30, 40, maybe even 50%? Who knows what it'll be, right? And so I think that people, when they, when they think of liquidity, they're really only looking at it from one perspective. And that's like the perspective of when things are going well. There's another perspective out there where if you really want the highest rate of return, 
well, man, you should have some cash put aside when the next market correction comes. So you can swoop up, like we said before, and buy some assets at a discount. I think that's a, a hugely misunderstood or misinterpreted piece of data that people look at and as far as like just the very early years of, of a whole life insurance policy. Agreed. Let's talk about book recommendations and wrap up this episode. Yeah, I think two books by Barry James Dyke that I think people should be looking into. And one of them ties into your your discussion about annuities, which is Guaranteed Income by by Barry Dyke. The second the second one is also by Barry Dyke. It's called Pirates of Manhattan. You know, anyone who reads that will get a very interesting understanding of how banks work, how banks use life insurance as their tier one capital, and really the the idea of, you know, really what's going on with a lot of your money in some of these qualified plans and things like that. And then the third one, which also ties into your annuity and life insurance discussion is Safety First Retirement Planning by Wade Fow. That's Wade and then PFAU. He's one of the, you know, really kind of shining stars in the in the retirement planning world right now and has written some really good books that talk to what you were saying earlier, where the 4% rule is really probably more like the the three or even 2% rule right now. And if you have some, what he calls buffer assets, which would be life insurance, annuities, and real estate, you can really make a dramatic impact on how much money you can use and enjoy in retirement. Yeah. All those hit it out of the park. Those are great recommendations. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to touch on, John? In the episodes that we did for 20s and 30s, you know, we had a little segment inside those episodes where we talked about what we were both doing in our 20s and 30s. We're actually going to save that. We thought what we do is record an entire episode to talk about what we're doing in our 40s, why we're doing it, and tie that into some of the current events that's happening. You know, the the current run up in the market, a lot of the the uh, COVID spending that's happening out there, printing money, the debt. Maybe talk a little bit about GameStop, some of that type of uh, current events, and we'll explain why we're doing what we're doing now as it relates to those current events. So stay tuned. It'll actually be in the next episode, so make sure you check that one out to find out what we're doing in our 40s. If you have any questions, just head over to the fifth edition.com. You can email us from there. You can schedule a meeting if you'd like to have a, a one-on-one discussion and we can take the conversation even further. Thank you, everybody.